0: Good morning, welcome again to Morning Devotions. Thank you again so much for our time together. You know, with this lockdown, you kind of lose track of days and you lose track of weeks. And honestly, I get up on Saturday morning and I think it's Sunday morning and you lose track of it all. But today is September 1st. Today we begin a new month. We've been in this since March, April, May, June, July, August, well, partway through March. So we're six and a half months now. But brothers and sisters, God has been with us. And you know what? This will end, and it will be well with us. It will be well with your family. It will be well with your finances. Young people, it will be well with your education. Young people especially, I wanna just, in your face for just a minute here. You're so concerned about college and finishing school and moving on with your life and your careers and all of that, and I understand that. Believe it or not, we were all young ones. But young people, God causes all things to work together for our good. Now please, somehow, some way, young people, this thing is going to bring benefit to your life if you will just trust him. If you will just put your trust in him, this whole chaos this year is somehow going to bring benefit to your life. So just relax a little bit. I know that sounds very trite to say, but just relax a little bit because it will be well with you. Right now, we've got one of our young
1: people. They're going to read to us Psalms chapter 91. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions and under His wings You will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalm 91. As we go to prayer today, I want us to pray for
0: the preggies all those pregnant young ladies in the church, and there's a lot of them right now. Coronavirus has seen a lot, of, a lot of beautiful conceptions, a lot of beginnings of life, and we rejoice in that. But a lot of our ladies are very concerned about the health of their baby, will the virus affect my baby, will it affect the delivery, going to the hospital in these times. There's concerns. So I want us to pray right now. Remember, ladies, God made a promise to you that he, you would be kept safe, in childbirth father we bring to you all of our pregnant sisters lord they've looked forward to this baby lord they've been careful but father we just ask that your hand rest upon this young life growing in the womb you already know that child by name you knew that child before their body was knit together when they were still just a little blob of cells we thank you for your hand upon this child's life we ask for your hand upon mama now as she gives birth Father, we thank you that every woman shall be kept safe in childbirth, that this coronavirus shall not come near them. (laughs) And Lord, for right now, that baby, that mama's womb is their dwelling place. Let this coronavirus not come near that dwelling place in the name of Jesus. Let these children be born strong and healthy and perfect. And let mamas give birth strong and healthy and normal. We thank you for it, Father. Lord, I pray for all the businesses out there, those that are making cabinets, those that are building homes, those that are designing interiors, those that are selling projects, those that are making and selling food, those that are doing all this new work from home stuff, all the computers and all the IT. I pray for all those making garments, Lord. Father, for all of our business people, I ask in Jesus' name, Let your favor be upon them. Lord, we declare the favor of God over the people of God. Oh, the favor of God coming on them from early in the morning till when they sleep at night. Favor upon all of their contracts. Favor upon all of their collections. Favor upon their businesses, Father. Let this be a time of expansion and not a time of retraction. Father, for those that have had a bump in the road because all of a sudden, things were closed down all around them. I thank you for new opportunities. Father, lift up their eyes to see new opportunities. Like Abraham of old, Lord, after Lot left, you told him to lift up his eyes, quit looking around and missing his nephew, but lift up his eyes and look east, south and west and see all the beautiful new opportunities you were gonna give them. Lord, don't let them look down in discouragement be the lifter of their heads lord oh lift their heads to see new opportunities father i pray for the spiritual life of all of our people for the young people lord help them to say no let let the grace of god rise up in them to say no to tiktok let the grace of god rise up strong within to say no to tiktok and all that pornography and all that stuff that they've been getting involved with and father let the holy ghost Let the Holy Ghost flow to their lives and begin to give them revelation from the word. Let their hearts be thrilled and excited. Let their hearts burn within them as they read the word. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, let your grace and let the Holy Ghost flow to every family and every home, Father. That things, Lord, won't be happening that are ungodly, but things will happen that are godly in the name of Jesus. Oh, let the presence of God fill every home in Jesus' name. Let this be a time of visions and dreams. Let this be a time of callings and renewal of callings. Let this be a time when the Holy Ghost moves in every heart and every home in Jesus' name. Let this be a time of the salvation of our entire households, Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, we come and we are grateful for it. We are grateful for it. We don't want to just be blessed materially, Lord. Oh, no, Father. We want to prosper in our souls. We want our souls to prosper, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship now. testament passage today picks up in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 beginning with verse 12 Paul said when I came to Troas I remember that's where Paul had received the Macedonian call much earlier he said I came to Troas and I came with a purpose he said I came to preach he said I was I was not on vacation when well, I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ even though the door was open to me in the Lord My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Now remember with me, if this is the Aegean Sea, this would be Troas, and then this would be Macedonia. So he had to cross the Aegean Sea, and he'd come into Neapolis, which is called the new city on the coast, and then he'd come into Philippi right about there, and that's where Macedonia really began. Now, we understand the the geography of this, but I want you just to back up and notice some spiritual things about this, about the calling. Just because there is a door open, an open door does not mean the will of God. You know, if people ask me, Pastor Sumrall, why don't you spend more time preaching outside of COP? You know, there's a big open door. I could literally preach every day in another church or a crusade someplace in the Philippines, every day. 365 days a year. There's a wide open door. But then what happens to the flock of which the Holy Spirit made me an overseer? You see, it's really, it's really fun to be excited about open doors. But there's also duties and responsibilities of the minister. So sometimes you look at an open door and you go, you know what, this is a real open door. But there's something missing here. Now with Paul, he said, my spirit was not at rest. Not notice, not his soul, his spirit. The spirit of man is where God speaks to us. Remember, we are three parts. We are body, we are soul, and we are a spirit being. More technically speaking, we are a spirit and we have a body and a soul. Now the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. It's where God speaks to us. So the part where God spoke to him was not at rest. There was no peace. So there's no peace. Because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. He he says, listen, there's something going on here. I need to find Titus. Now remember, Titus is his son in the faith. This is. This is not just somebody he knows about. This is a son of the faith. This is a, a close relationship. That would be like me going to Cebu and not finding Pastor Joey there. Okay, I mean, I'd be looking for Brother Joey. Why? Because there's a relationship there. Okay, we're, we're supposed to meet here. I, I, my spirit would not be at rest. I'd be looking for him. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in a triumphant procession. All right. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. But thanks be to God who in Christ, there's another one of those in Christ. You need to keep a beautiful list of all the things that we have in Christ. In Christ, we are always led in a triumphant procession. I like that. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So I make a little note in my Bible. We smell. (laughs) Now he continues with that. For, or because, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. And among those who are perishing, to one the fragrance of death to death, the other a fragrance of life to life. So notice, we, we give off three smells we give off three smells. To God, we smell like Christ. <laughs> that, smells like, that smells like my son. <laughs> now again, brothers and sisters, please, we all have an odor, all right? Now we understand that, sometimes we call it BO, but there's a spiritual odor also. And to God, we smell like Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So to God, we smell like Christ and also among the believers. Now, among the unbelievers, we have two scents. For some, we smell like death and for others, we smell like life. To one, a fragrance of death to death, and to another, a fragrance of life to life. He said, you know, when you get around people that are open to the gospel, we smell like life. To those who hate the gospel, we smell like death. We are, we are a putrid odor. People don't like to be around us. When, when people have rejected God, they don't like to be around us. We stink. Have you ever smelled death? Have you ever smelled a rotted, decaying corpse? Oh, No one wants to be around it. That's what we smell like to people who have rejected the gospel. But to people who are wanting the gospel, we smell like life. Who is sufficient for these things? Four, we are not like so many. Now, now that word so many bothers me. He said, we are not like so many. Peddlers of God's word. People who do this for money. See, in, in Paul's day, especially among the super apostles and thing in Corinth with the patronage system, they preached for money. And Paul said, we're not like so many peddlers for the word of God. We don't peddle the word. We don't say, okay, I'll preach for you and you give me this much money and you preach for me and I give you that much money. We, we don't do that. We, we, folks, you, you can't have people like this. You, 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 at some point, you have to stand up against it and say, no, no, no. We're not a part of the we're not a part of the church the church financial system. We're not peddlers of God's word. Now the more and more I get into this, the more and more I understood Brother John, because Brother John says, you know, David, he said, the churches in America are Christian business. He said, this is a church. This is what I grew up with. He said, there are other great churches in America that are the same way. They're a real church. They're not a Christian business. And this nothing has changed in 2000 years. Paul faced the same thing in Corinth. He said, "We're not like so many. I notice so many, not just a few, so many peddlers of God's word." Now, now, folks, this is in the first century of the church. This, this is in the first generation of the church. We've already got people that are doing this for money. He said, "But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak." And there's that in Christ again. We speak in Christ. Now notice, two qualifications here. And and I would tell all pastors, if you're looking for a guest speaker, these are two things that you look for. One, sincerity. Number two, commissioned by God. Are they there because God wants them to? I can remember in Bible school, I've always been a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a rebel, but I would say an idealist. I can remember in Bible school, The professor standing up and saying, Now, you know, this is how you this is how you make money in the ministry, and this is how you earn your way in the ministry. And and I stood up in the class and I well, I didn't stand up, I raised my hand and I said, You know, what about we're supposed to go preach where God called us to preach? And the professor sent me to the dean's office. And you know, I didn't I didn't act nasty or anything. I just, what about we're preaching where God called us to preach? And God will provide. Well, the dean in those days, Dean Phillips, he'd been an old friend of my grandfather. And he said, what did you do, David? Because my nickname in Bible college was uncle, because even in Bible college, I was conservative. I mean, because you gotta understand, I'd been a mess and I got saved and I was just so happy to be saved. And I told him what I did and he said, I agree with you, just sit out the class here, I'll talk to the professor. Now, brothers and sisters, that, that was my first real shock but you know, I've made mistakes in this too, like others. They said, listen, we're gonna do this for you. Well, there came a point in my life when I just said, listen, I don't care about money. Let's just let's just preach the gospel God will provide. Now, many people laughed at me and for years and for, for years, for decades. Sister Bev and I had nothing. But you know what, we're very blessed today. If you do things the right way, pastors listen to me. If you do things the right way, it may take longer, but it will be permanent. Uh-huh, there's a difference. Men of sincerity, commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ Jesus. Chapter three, verse one. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? He said, listen, there you go, thinking that I'm trying to brag about myself. He said, no, no, I'm trying to teach you something here. He said, I'm not, I'm not trying to boast about myself. Or do we need as some do letters of recommendation to you or from you? So to or from, he said, do we need a letter of recommendation? I mean, he said, I I gave birth to the church there. I'm your father in the faith. Do I need a recommendation letter from you? I don't think so. Do I need a recommendation letter to you? I don't think so. For you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Ah. So the people, now now notice the words here. The people, if this is Paul's heart, okay, okay, And you know I can't draw. Here's Paul's heart. So the people, their names, Cruz, Santa Ana, all their names are written on Paul's heart. He said, you are our letters of recommendation. And knowing these people, to be known and read by all. So everybody looks at Paul's heart and sees these people in Paul's heart. Ha ha! Notice, didn't see Paul in their heart, saw them in Paul's heart. You yourselves are our letters of recommendation written on our hearts. People can see you in our hearts. (laughs) There's a beautiful truth. (laughs) And you show that you are a letter from Christ you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not in ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on the tablets of stones, but on the tablets of human hearts. All right, you are a letter from Christ written on our hearts, delivered by us, written not in ink, but with the spirit of the living God. The Holy Spirit writes your names on our hearts. Your names are written on my heart. Your names are written on Sister Bev's heart. Your names are written on Pastor A's heart. Your names are written on Pastor Pocadora's heart. Your name is written on uh, Pastor Marlin's heart and Pastor Rose's heart and Pastor Willie's heart and, and Pastor Boggs' heart. Your names are written on our hearts. Written with the Holy Spirit. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. All right. Notice the word confidence here. Here's here's a great little truth you can start working on. Confidence is through Christ, and confidence is toward God. Confidence is not in ourselves. Confidence is toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. He said, No, nothing comes from us but our sufficiency is from God. Ah, see, remember, the confidence is toward God. Who made us competent to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, notice, what made us competent? Now, th- this is something I've struggled with every day of my life for, since I was 18 years old. When God called me to preach, I, I couldn't stand up in front of people and speak. To this day, I'm a shy person. I have these people say, oh no, Pastor, we see you preach all the time. you, know, you have to understand, that that's a work of God's grace. That's a work of the Spirit. Where do I get the ability to minister? He made me competent. He made me competent. You say, oh, Pastor, those are great sermons. He made me competent. Now, when a pastor begins to feel that you have to take speech courses and you have to take personality courses and you have to take marketing presentation courses, and when everything becomes, forgive me, a show, a display, an act, that's not ministry. Now, when when we feel insufficient for the task, please, young pastors, hear me. When you feel insufficient for the task, forgive me, that's kind of a good thing, because then you don't rely upon yourself, you rely upon him. Connect group leaders, he will make you competent to be a good connect group leader. Choir members, he will make you competent to be a great worshiper. He makes us competent. Yes, we had to get involved, but he's the one who, who develops all this in us. Now, if the ministry of death is carved in letters of stone, so the ministry of death was the law. Okay, so this is the law. It's carved in letters of stone. Came with such glory that if Israelites could not gaze on Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. I mean, from the time it was delivered, it was being brought to an end because all it did was point you to Jesus, remember? Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, which is what the law is, the ministry of righteousness was far exceeded in glory. I like this. The new covenant is the ministry of righteousness. That's the ministry we have, to declare people the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I love that. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. All right, So the, the new covenant, the, the ministry of the spirit just overwhelmed the old covenant. For what was being brought to an end came with glory. Much more will what is permanent have glory. Now here's a great contrast between, this whole thing is a contrast between the law versus the new covenant spirit, okay? The old was being brought to an end, the new is permanent. Since we have such hope, we are very bold. All right, source of boldness. Hope. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. So to this day, when you talk to the Jews, there is a veil. So the Jews have a veil that completely covers their mind. And that veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Amazing. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now notice this is after not before. The veil isn't removed before. The veil is only removed after one turns to the Lord. Now the Lord is the Spirit and the Spirit of the Lord and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now there is not weirdness, there's freedom. Now there is a huge difference folks. I've been in too many places where people just start acting totally bonkers. And then they shout, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's not freedom. That's weirdness. When people start getting weird in church, that's not freedom. Okay. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. All right. So, all of us, we are unveiled, we are being transformed into the image of Christ. From one degree of glory to another, so this is progressive, this transformation, this is spiritual growth, all right? This is progressive, spiritual growth. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
1: I lift my eyes Up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2.
2: When confusion's my companion and despair holds me for ransom, I will feel no fear. And love as a love is true my
1: To
2: believe in My hair is from you. Don't the sea cause and knock the knowledge is from you. Don't the seed to believe in My hair is from you.
3: Don't the sea cause and knock us and know true. Well, I have the privilege of going through the book of Isaiah with us for our morning devotions. And it really is a privilege. When pastor said, you know, the next Old Testament book that's coming up is Isaiah. Would you like to? I said, oh, yes, I would love to. Because Isaiah has always been, since I was a kid, my favorite book of the Bible. And I don't know if you're supposed to have favorite books of the Bible, because All scripture is given by God, and it's profitable, and so on. And it's all equal. But I love the book of Isaiah. I love it for so many reasons. It is a book that is so complete. It has everything, history, poetry, drama. It has um, beautiful, beautiful messianic promises. We'll talk about that as we go through it. But Isaiah... He's a man, it says in chapter 1, verse 1, the vision of Isaiah, son of Amos. This is not Amos, the prophet. This is Amos or Amos, a, a different man, the dad of Isaiah. He's a man who had two children. We will meet them as we go through. He has a wife. And you know what I like about Isaiah? He's proud of his wife. You know there are a lot of men that if their wife is very accomplished they don't want to say so they want to be the one who's the most important there are men like that and thank god when when pastor and i meet men who can just look at their wives and be proud of them then we feel really happy about that marriage i know that pastor is proud of me he's proud of what i accomplish Isaiah was like that, addressing his wife as the prophetess, you know, not putting her down, not um, belittling her position. So I like that about Isaiah. And it says, the vision of Isaiah, son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So it's not focused on the northern kingdom, because you know that the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. It was the northern kingdom, which was 10 tribes, the southern kingdom, which was just two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And Isaiah's prophecy then, he's giving it in Judah, and he is mostly giving it concerning the southern kingdom of Judah. And he says, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So there he lists for us the kings, four of the kings of Judah. That means Isaiah had a long and profitable ministry. Although, of course, Uzziah, his mention of Uzziah is when Uzziah died. So it's basically the end of Uzziah's reign until Hezekiah. Isaiah had a long ministry and a long interaction with these kings. Why is it important that he mentions the kings? Because it helps us date Isaiah's writings. It helps us to know where exactly to put this writing, where to put this book. In the history of God's people, where do we put it? And it's also really interesting to look at It's interesting to look at these four kings of the southern kingdom, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, and then compare that to the reign of the kings in the northern kingdom. You know, in the southern kingdom, the kings were typically some good, this one bad, couple of good ones, another bad one. I mean, by that, they served God, they didn't serve God, they served God, they didn't serve God. Uh, one after the other. But in the northern kingdom, they had zero good kings. The kings of the northern kingdom were all evil. They had their hearts set on evil. They worshipped idols. They were none of them God's servers. And so when you look at the kings of Judah, and their are long and prosperous reigns. And then you look at the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel. And you see how it's one king after the other king after the other king. And very often their reigns were very short. You know, there was one that was even just a matter of days. Some were months. They were very short reigns. It means they were probably getting murdered by the incoming king, just like the heathen nations around them. Very interesting. And when I look at that, and I look at, well, Isaiah is coming at the tail end of the northern kingdom's um, uh, existence as a nation. They had king after king after king, they were in political turmoil, and pretty soon they just ceased to exist as a nation as God just let them all go into exile. And they're It was gone. And you know what I look at, I say, I say, when I look at that, it pays to serve the Lord. It just pays to serve the Lord. You look at this long reigning, prosperous Southern King kingdom, and then this short, no, it pays to serve God. When you think you're taking shortcuts, when you think, oh, I'm getting away with this, hmm, God's keeping track and sin doesn't pay. Shortcuts don't pay. All the things that Isaiah will be talking about in his book, the idolatry, the bribery, the mistreatment of human beings, social justice, all of these things, it doesn't pay. You can't just do that to get ahead. You'll end up cutting short your prosperity. Okay, Isaiah was a prophet who wrote praise that rivals that of King David. And that's one of the reasons I love the book of Isaiah. It's just like Isaiah is just, for example, he's prophesying away against a certain nation. And suddenly he's so overcome with the goodness and the power of God that in the middle of his prophecy, he just bursts into the most beautiful praise. I love that about Isaiah. Isaiah has 66 chapters, we need to know that going in, and that corresponds very nicely to the 66 books of the Bible. And in fact, it's really nicely divided with chapters 1 to 39, corresponding to the Old Testament, and then 40 through 66, corresponding to the New Testament. Isaiah is called the Romans of the Old Testament because it is so theologically rich, It teaches us so much about God and about our doctrines that we need to know. Paul, in the book of Romans, quotes Isaiah 17 times. So that's a little fast fact for you about Isaiah. There are more references to the book of Isaiah in the New Testament than any other Old Testament book except the book of Psalms. So you can see it is really a very important, important book. Profoundly theological, yet beautifully poetic, filled with relevant themes like trust, redemption, social justice, which is one of the themes. And his poetry, hmm, beautiful. In verse 2, so we've got through verse 1. How long do we have this morning to get through these two chapters? Hmm, Verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Whoa, just as he starts his prophecy, it's so broad. God has authority to summon the entire earth and heavens and speak. And hear, O heavens, that's a very good example of the excellence of the writing of Isaiah. Because it's a poetic device in Hebrew, of course. Isaiah didn't write in English, right? He wrote in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, it is employing the poetic device of alliteration. So, you know, alliteration, like we say, people power. And it's kind of a catchy little thing because it both starts with P. Okay. Here, oh heavens, as he starts off his prophecy, is Shema Ushmaim. Shema Ushmaim. Oh, wow. It is just a powerful way to start (laughs) when you're going to make a speech start it with a wow that's what isaiah has done with his writing right from the first opening notes hear oh heavens you can go around saying that when you want to be profound and you want everybody to listen to you hear oh heavens and give ear oh earth for the lord has spoken Children have I reared and brought up but they have rebelled against me the ox knows its master the donkey its master's crib but Israel does not know my people do not understand verse 4 ah sinful nation there is the cry of God. He had the cry just calling out for his people. And that phrase, ah, sinful nation, that's another poetic device in Hebrew poetry. It's hoi, goi, hoit. It's just one of those alliteration or it rhymes with each other in, in um, Hebrew, in the language that Isaiah was writing in. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity offspring of evil doers, children who deal corruptly they have forsaken the Lord they have despised the Holy One of Israel they are utterly estranged verse 5 why will you be struck down why will you continue to rebel oh Isaiah is full of these appeals to people why why it's, it's so unnecessary. The suffering that you will go through because of your sin. You know, married woman, why will you go for this affair with this married man? The suffering you will go through is so unnecessary. It's not something you want to live with. Parents, the way you will treat your children... Why will you mistreat them? It's so, the suffering you will go through in the future is so unnecessary. So this is the kind of appeal that Isaiah is giving. Why will you persu- persist in your sin? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the soles of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they're not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil your country lies desolate your cities burned with fire in your very presence foreigners devour your land it is desolate as overthrown by foreigners and the daughter of zion is left like a booth in a vineyard like a lodge in a cucumber field like a besieged city if the lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors we would have been like sodom and become like gomorrah hear the word of the lord you rulers of sodom give ear to the teaching of our god you peoples of gomorrah what is the multitude of your sacrifices says the lord oh what is the multitude of your sacrifice to me says god now we begin to see there is a right way to worship god and there is a wrong way to worship god you know that God is not impressed by us (laughs) and he's not impressed by our profoundness and he's not impressed by flashing lights. I think that's one thing that during the pandemic, it, it has taught us all over the world that authenticity triumphs over presentation anytime. And so God says, I have had enough of burnt offerings and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Oh, what if God said that to us? I've had enough of your offerings. I've had enough. How that would hurt us. They didn't seem to hurt Israel because they were so bent on their sin. And in verse 12, When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? So religious leaders were putting burdens on the people that God never intended. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. So those two things being put together, associated in a very bad way. Sin does not belong in the house of God your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates they've become a burden to me i'm weary of bearing them when you spread out your hands i will hide my eyes from you even though you make many prayers i will not listen your hands are full of blood wash yourselves and make yourselves clean remove the evil of your deeds from my eyes wow over and over look at that i cannot endure it my soul hates it it's a burden to me i'm weary of it i'm going to hide from you What can you do about that? Be washed, be cleansed, be justified. And in verse uh, 16, picking it up, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. See, that tells us you can just stop sinning. You don't have to taper off. You don't have to say, well, I murdered Thirteen people yesterday, I'll just murder seven people today. You don't have to taper off when it comes to sin. You don't have to say, well, I did better than yesterday. When it comes to sin, just stop and learn to do good. All right. So that means you are, that is going to be a process. The doing good will be a process, renewing the mind, stepping into learning God's word. And then it says, seek justice Correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. It is one of a recurring theme in the book of Isaiah justice, social justice, how we treat people. Social justice is very dear to the heart of God. You can't just go around mistreating people and think that God will not notice or he will not see it. Plead the widow's cause, it says. And then verse 18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Redemption made simple. Just come to the Lord. Let him wash you and make you clean. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Oh, there's prosperity for the believers but if you refuse and rebel you shall be eaten by the sword for the mouth of the lord has spoken how the faithful city has become a whore she who was full of justice righteousness lodged in her but now murderers your silver has become dross your best wine mixed with water your princes are rebels and companions of thieves everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts they do not bring justice to the fatherless and the widow's cause does not come to them. You're gonna see that over and over in Isaiah's writing. God has a heart for social justice. Therefore, the Lord declares the holy, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will melt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first, and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city, redemption. Zion will be redeemed by justice, and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. You can see already, right in the beginning of Isaiah's writing, Boom, the difference, and the difference in consequence or reward for those who serve the Lord and those who do not. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, like a garden without water. The strong shall become tinder, and his work a spark. Both of them shall burn together, and none to quench them. Chapter 2. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So there you go. Again, reinforcing where he is, who he's prophesying to. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established. Okay, you're going to see a lot of words like that in the book of Isaiah because he is a prophet. So you will see latter days, last days, days of the day of the Lord in that day. You will see words that are spoken of the last days, the end times. And as we read this chapter, it kind of looks like stuff that's going on today with the importance of Jerusalem in the world. But you'll see that it doesn't have its fulfillment right now. It's still to come. The mountain of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Oh, yeah, we say that, right? Let's go to Israel. Let's go on Israel tour. That he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his path for out of zion shall go forth the law and the word of the lord from jerusalem he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks Okay, you see, this is not happening right now. That's certainly not happening right now. Nations are not being peaceful with one another and destroying all their armaments. That's not happening. So this is really in the latter days, as Isaiah said. Neither shall they lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore and then, as often happens in the book of Isaiah, an appeal in the midst of this. Oh, this is judgment. An appeal. So in verse eight, uh, verse five, Oh, house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Oh, that's good advice for all of us. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they're full of things from the east, fortune tellers like the Philistines. They strike hands with the children of foreigners. What are the things that God doesn't like? Their land is filled with silver and gold and there's no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses. There's no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols they bow down to the work of their hands to what their own fingers have made so man is humbled and each one is brought low do not forgive them enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty, the haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the lofty pride of man shall be humbled. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Now you have here that follows some beautiful imagery that Isaiah is going to say. It says the haughty or the high and lifted up will be brought low. And the low will be brought high. So then he's going to list what are some of these tall things. And you notice it says the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Ah, in that day, in the day of the Lord, in latter days. It's one of those prophecies. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Okay, what are some of those poetic illustrations? Against all the cedars of Lebanon. You know how tall a cedar tree is? Lofty and lifted up. Against all the oaks of Bashan. Against all the lofty mountains and the uplifted hills. Against every high tower and every fortified wall. So he's listing all these things against all the ships of Tarshish. You know, with their high beautiful uh, sails against all beautiful craft and the haughtiness of man shall be humbled and the lofty pride of man shall be brought low and the lord alone shall be exalted in that day and the idols shall utterly pass away and people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the lord from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. O oh, tribulation times! In that day, in that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they have made for themselves to worship, wrong worship, to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and to the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. And now another appeal. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he?